As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Derek Riper, joined today by Al Melchior, and this is the final fab episode of the 2021 season. The last run going down about 12 hours from the time of this recording, and we got a few people joining us live on YouTube. Good morning to those of you who decided to get up early on this very last fab Sunday of the year. Uh, Al, I can't believe it. This is it. This is the last one. I feel like this show is like a year-round show in my head, and <laughs> uh, I am I'm both sad but relieved that we kind of get a break to pull back, look at what went right, what went wrong, and uh, and see if how this whole thing plays out over the final days. I'm I'm curious. Do you have any championships hanging in the balance here these last uh, few days? Uh one, one, um, which it's it's uh, the CBS AL only experts league where I, I've been in first for. The, the bulk of the season with like a double digit point lead. And over the last couple of weeks, Mike Janela has been slicing into that lead uh, very gradually and steadily. So I feel like it's not entirely safe. So I think it's fair to call that one in the balance. I think uh, Tout Wars, where I've been uh, in second, uh, I think Alex Fast is is running away with that one. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much all that's, that's left for me. How about you? I've got two keeper leagues. One is a deep mixed league that it's been about a three, it's actually a four team battle for the last, well, like eight weeks. And I've got the lead entering Sunday. I don't feel like it's particularly safe. Uh, Ian Kahn and Dr. Thomas Scott, who you've heard referred to probably under the radar a few times, they co manage a team that's in second. Uh, Ryan Eisner used to work at Rotowire, is chasing us down. He's right there, I think, in third. Nick Schlain's in fourth. All those teams are are contending, so that one's not settled. Small lead, lots of standings points that can fluctuate. And then I've got an AL-only keeper league where I'm about four points off the lead where I, I think there's a chance I could win, but I'm probably 20% at best to actually pull it off, even though I'm sitting in second there. So it's weird. It's turned out to be a good year for me in keeper leagues and not as good of a year in redraft. I think it's a, just a random occurrence. I don't think there's any particular reason why it played out that way, but at least if you're having success in one area that offsets some of the the disappointment in the others. So hopefully everybody out there trying to contend for a title can make the right adjustments and, and either hold on to keep the lead or make that late maneuver to get there. And, and yeah, good morning to Keith75, Monty. I know you're one of the the uh, loyal listeners of the uh, the live version of this show on Sunday mornings. So we're going to do the same thing that we've done uh, the last couple of weeks, Al. I, I came up with this idea when I was solo a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like it just adds a little something, at least visually, uh, to the stream. So if you're watching the stream, you'll get to enjoy the... Uh, much larger picture of the Rotowire projected starters grid as we talk about starting pitchers because at this point in the season, it's so much easier to just go team by team and kind of look at matchups and figure out if there's anything of interest there, even if it's more of a fly-by sort of comment. So we go from A to W. It's not A to Z, A to W, Arizona to Washington. That's the order of the grid. The Diamondbacks this week 
are where we begin. They are on the road in San Francisco, where, as you can see on the screen, there are some highlights this week. Uh, players in gray are not available in the 12-team league that I have the grid configured for, so that's not any sort of like universal roster rate or anything like that. It's just kind of a loose indicator of who might be available and who's more likely to be rostered. You can still look at gray names and, and be intrigued by them uh, just the same. But I don't think I have much interest in any of the Arizona starters. It is interesting to me, however, that Zach Gallen is out there in some shallow leagues. I do still have interest in Zach Gallen in the rare leagues where he's available because he avoids San Francisco at the beginning of the week and he catches the Rockies at home for a series where I'm just kind of excited about Arizona in general. I mean, we're going to talk about a few relievers along the way. And if you're looking for saves... J.B. Wendelkin might get a save or two in that last series of the season, at least on that Saturday where Zach Gallon is pitching. I feel pretty good about the D-backs. Well, who's going for the Rockies? Because I worry that maybe they'll they'll be some laughers in that series. Your guy, Antonio Senzatella, goes to Chase Field <laughs> for Colorado. All right. Yes, that is uh that's like a four to three game right there. <laughs> right. But uh, I definitely think Gallon is startable. Now, yeah, I would say Senzatella is very usable there too. Uh, easier to probably get Senzatella given that people stay away from him in Coors and they just spent a week at home, if I'm not mistaken, the first part of their week also in Colorado to close out the season. Uh, Luke Weaver, you know, maybe for next year is one of my last pitchers still rosterable, but Definitely not someone I'm throwing out there against what has been one of the league's best offenses when the Giants need every possible win to try and hold on to the AL or the NL West title. Uh, looking at air at the Atlanta rotation, this is obviously a more heavily rostered group. Not much to get excited about there on waivers. I, I'm surprised Jesse Chavez is actually he's he's part of this team. He's gonna he's gonna open. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's anything to really get excited about. As you can see, hasn't gone two full innings in an appearance in the last 60 days. So, you know, traditional opener, nothing to get excited about there. Waskari Noah, I think we talked about last week. If he's out there, of course, you could pick him up and throw him against the Mets, but not much to do with the Atlanta rotation if you're trying to shuffle during this final week. Uh, we look at the Baltimore rotation again, and I have the same reaction as last week, Al. I'm really not interested, even though the Chris Ellis numbers continue to exceed my expectations. Yeah, no, I'm uh, definitely avoiding it. Unfortunately, John Means gets the the Blue Jays in Toronto. So I, I don't know that that's an automatic sit, but definitely I'm not going uh, I'm not going out of my way to, you know, uh, shoehorn Means in my rotation. And, and of course, he's not going to be a, a waiver or fab option. So of everybody else that's out there, I mean, Zach Lowther is coming off a very good start, but uh, we actually talked about this. I talked about this with Michael Beller. I'm fantasy at 15, and uh, yeah, versus Boston, not what you want to see for that follow-up start. No, definitely not. Uh, looking at Boston, you've got Tanner Houck getting a start over the weekend at Washington. I'm actually surprised he hasn't given the Red Sox more innings because he seemingly passes the tests that they give him, and they've had a need in the back end of the rotation. Eduardo Rodriguez is one of those guys who's underperformed, uh, with actual results of underperformed some of the advanced ERA indicators. I still like him in the long run. I think a fresh start outside of Boston in 2022 would make me more excited about him next season than if he were to run it back and, and stay and have to pitch half his games in Fenway. Um, but that's all kind of a long-winded way of saying, I think there's a pretty clear path for Tanner Houck to be in the rotation next year as well. And I feel just fine about throwing him on the road against the Nats, even though Juan Soto is playing at an extremely high level right now. I still think it's a pretty top-heavy Nationals lineup that overall is one that I'm not necessarily steering away from. Yeah, well, uh, Nationals rediscovering Esky magic. <laughs> I, I have no counter. <laughs> there is none. Uh, but yeah, no, there's nobody in this rotation that I'd be avoiding this week, including Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, I think these are all you know starters that are good to go. Yeah, if any if any one of Nick Pavetta or Erod happens to be out there, you can actually throw them. It's going to be at Baltimore for Pavetta, at Washington for Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, looking at the Cubs, no two-star pitchers here because they've gone to a six-man rotation, so you could probably get away with Alec Mills at Pittsburgh if you're just looking for a one-stream option. I think there's also a chance that he could throw on Sunday, if Keegan Thompson went short, they could just go to Mills to chew up some innings because they're playing out the string in every way on the north side of Chicago right now. I've never been an Adrian Sampson guy, and I just mentioned Thompson. I I don't trust it with Keegan Thompson, plus that last weekend series is against the Cardinals, and 
I want absolutely nothing to do with the Cardinals right now unless I feel good about the pitcher trying to go up against that lineup. Yeah, the Cardinals just don't lose anymore. So if you need wins, uh, skip that one. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm not really, really not excited. This is, this is really for me the flip side of the Red Sox rotation. There's nobody here I'd really be interested in starting. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, I suppose. I mean, he's got a great matchup at Pittsburgh, but just such a disappointing season for him. And uh, I, I could see passing on him unless it was a deep league where I just didn't have better options. Yeah, is, is Kyle Hendricks just kind of a, a snap sort of bounce back guy for you next year? I mean, do you think there's likely to be value there? I assume he's going to fall outside the top 200 overall because mm-hmm. the stuff's never been overpowering anyway. But he's got a long track record of putting up really good ratios over pretty good volumes of innings, too. You never get a ton of strikeouts, and it's weird to see his strikeout rate even lower than usual right now. The swinging strike rate, 8.9%, is the lowest it's been since 2017, I still kind of look at him and think he'll be himself or a much better version of himself. Maybe he's a high threes ERA and a 120s whip guy going forward, but that to me is a really good pitcher if you're getting him as late as I think he's going to go next year. Oh, I completely agree, and especially in the offensive context that we're in right now. I mean, that's that's not bad. That Those numbers have some value. And yeah, I do think Hendricks will, will bounce back. I do think that this season will be the validation that uh, the Hendricks doubters have been waiting for. And uh, I, I think there's definitely an opportunity there to be able to get some value without having to reach for it. And I, I wouldn't you know, be willing to do that, but I don't think I'll have to. Yeah, I'd be more worried about him if there was a, a velo drop, because since he lives in the high 80s, if he falls into the mid 80s, then yes, that is a problem. That would be a sign of the beginning of the end for Kyle Hendricks, but that hasn't been the case for him here in uh, 2021. And I also wonder if there's a chance they would shop him this winter and try and send him over to a contender. Maybe that would reduce some of the appeal since Wrigley most days is a pitcher-friendly environment. He could have some more hitter-friendly, but he'd have a better team contacts, which probably offset that bump in ratios. Looking at the Reds, Wade Miley gets the Pirates over the weekend if he's been dropped. I know he's been kind of an on-again, off-again option for people throughout this season. Uh, unfamiliar name for me at the beginning in Reaver San Martin. And uh, let's see what he's up to. Well, he's actually pitching pretty deep into starts at AAA. So if he, in fact, is going to make that start on Monday against the Pirates, there could be some daily league stream appeal there. I don't know if I want to really put my season on the line uh, with a, a lefty who I've never seen in the big leagues before, but you can see the AAA numbers have actually been pretty good, Al. Over a strikeout per inning, only 23 walks and just six homers allowed this season at AAA Louisville, working mostly as a starter. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that. Uh, it's not the week that I want to be taking that sort of risk. Might be an interesting option for onlys. I, I'm not sure about Miley, uh, and, and not only just because uh, he's on the IL and hadn't pitched well before that, but I had seen something on Saturday that said that his season was effectively over. I think he can be activated for that Sunday start. So that that's another element of risk there, too, that I'm just not certain that Miley is pitching that game, and especially if the Reds are out of it, which is you know how they're, they're trending at this point. Uh, I'm not sure, unless it's just an opportunity to let him throw a few innings and kind of see where he's at. I'm not sure what the upside is for the Reds of, of letting Miley start that game. Yeah, since it's a neck injury, I think I would err on the side of what you saw. I, I think it probably is a case where even if he's eligible to pitch in that game, there's not really any reason for them to make him do it at this point. So San Martin might actually get two turns the way this all plays out, depending on how the Reds want to chew up those matchups, one at home against the Pirates, then one on the road against the Pirates on Sunday. Just not a lot of certainty about how those innings are going to flesh out either way. Uh, Looking at Cleveland again, not a whole lot to get excited about here. I'm curious if you have a a strong take on Eli Morgan. I've continued to ignore him. I know he pitched well uh, last time out. At Texas is certainly not a bad matchup. Is he somebody you'd actually think about streaming if you didn't really worry about the ratios? You're just looking for volume and need a contingency bid, which at this point, I feel like your bid lists have to be about as long as they ever get just to make sure you fill spots. Yeah, and that's no, that's exactly the way I would look at Morgan for this week. Uh, put him on, on that list, and I think, yeah, it is situational depending on where you are in the standings and what, what categories that you need to be worried about at this point. But I, I feel like probably more than not that this is a good spot for Morgan. He's just, he's been inconsistent, so... I feel a little bit of trepidation using him against the Rangers, but uh, I think that, yeah, not, not going to be the first pitcher on the list uh, in Fab, but 
I think you know further down, I'd I'd feel good about that. There was a time, uh, probably back in February and March, where if you just said, "Hey, Logan Allen's going to be out there in September with a matchup against the Royals," do you think you're streaming him? I would say, "Yeah," and uh, I would answer that question differently if the same question were <laughs> posed to me today. We just haven't seen enough from him to actually take that chance, even though the Royals are a matchup that you would definitely be seeking out otherwise uh, at this point in the season. Uh, from the Rockies, I mentioned this earlier, home to begin the week, so I don't have a lot of interest in Kyle Freeland or Peter Lambert, but Antonio Sensatella catching the D-backs in Colorado. The only thing about that start I don't like is that Zach Gallon's going on the other side, but if you believe in Antonio Sensatella at all, that is a great spot for him to close out his season. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with that. I may like him the best of all the Rocky starters this week. I'm kind of back on the Kyle Freeland train. Good start the last time out. Had a really good extended like two, two and a half month stretch of just good start after good start, including a bunch of home starts. So there's always risk, obviously, uh, <laughs> pitching at Coors Field. And we've, I think we've talked about the fact that the Nationals, uh, and as you mentioned earlier, just in this episode, that, you know, especially at the top of the lineup, they can be dangerous. So... I'm kind of on the fence about starting Freeland this week, but yeah, I feel good about Sensatella. I do not feel good about Herman Marquez. He just hasn't been very good over the last few weeks overall. So uh, I'd probably set this one out for him. Mm, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, with the split, getting the second one at Arizona, I think I'd be on the side of pushing him in unless I'm protecting ratios, in which case I'm thinking a little more carefully about those alternatives. So I think he's more of a situationally dependent sort of guy in this two-step but that wasn't the case for a while earlier this season. It was just kind of let him rip anytime he was out there. So think about those alternatives if you happen to be in that position with Herman Marquez. Uh, the White Sox, that rotation, mostly rostered. Dallas Keuchel, I'm surprised to see, is rostered in a 12-teamer. It might have been a stream play that just got stuck on someone's roster. Uh, if he's available in your league at Detroit, it's been a bit of a mess for him. I think he's one of those guys that... If the White Sox don't have to rely on him much in the postseason, they'll try to steer away from him. But depending on how much depth they get from other starters and depending on the health of Carlos Rodon, I think that's going to have a lot to say about how they use Keuchel in those October matchups. Yeah, it would be kind of hard to see why they would maybe use him over Ronaldo Lopez. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe this start will have something to say about that, this start against the Tigers. Uh, but yeah, and I would avoid him. I just haven't seen anything there to really reassure me that that this is going to be a good move. I would feel fine about uh, Lopez against the Reds. Um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, everybody's good to go here uh, for to, for starting this week. Yeah, and you look at Carlos Rodon. I mean, he's expected to make this start, and I I love what we're getting results wise. I've talked about him on a few of the Thursday pods now, where I, I look at him. And I, I just, I'm scared from a health perspective for 2022. I, I don't think we can project him for more than maybe 120 or 130 innings. That's kind of the range he's in right now. I think the stuff is as good as it's ever been. And I believe in the skills. But trying to balance out the great skills with the kind of below average projection for a workload, and given that he's had multiple arm injuries in the past, I feel like that only heightens the risk on him. He's one of those guys where I know he's probably going to pitch this week. I would probably look somewhere else if I could, even though the setup is good, because they have no incentive to push him any harder than they need to, right? I mean, if he's if he has any sign of fatigue, if he has anything that doesn't feel right, if the velo looks like it's not where it needs to be, I think they're going to be really quick with the hook in that matchup for him against Cincinnati. Yeah, there's definitely some risk there uh, for him this week, but... I'll, again, depends on your situation, but I can't really see sitting him for the potential upside that there is in that start. I'm not. I think it outweighs whatever risk there is. All right, let's move on to Detroit. Matt Manning was one of the players we talked about last week. He gets the White Sox twice: home on Monday, road on Sunday. There's a little three-game series on the road in Minnesota, sandwiched in between. So we'll see uh, Tyler Alexander go there. We'll see Tarek Skubal make his last start of the season in Minnesota. Any interest in Manning when you think about the White Sox as a team that might rest some of their regular position players just trying to mix and match guys a little bit to get everybody as fresh as possible for the postseason because that matchup would ordinarily scare me away, but given the circumstances, I'm a little more intrigued or a little more willing to take on some risk in certain instances here. Yeah, well, that and that's the key is, you know, what instances can you afford to do that? Because 
if, if a, a race is close, I'm staying away from Manning, even with a, a depleted White Sox lineup. And, you know, we talk about pitchers for whom matchups are irrelevant because you just trust the quality. I don't know what we're going to get from Matt Manning from one start to the next. Might be great. Might be a great two-start week for Matt Manning. Might be something that that blows up your season. So I, I look for somebody. I, I I feel better about Tyler Alexander, to be honest, because at least he gets the twins, and you could be pretty certain that that's going to be a soft landing spot. And then he's scheduled to go against the White Sox on that final Sunday where, you know, almost certainly it's going to be uh, uh, an easier lineup. So, yeah, I, I, I'd rather go with Alexander. Yeah, I was just looking at Tyler Alexander's arsenal, and the more you look at him, the easier it is to confuse him with Tyler Anderson. It's it's because it's you know it's a lefty, it's not overpowering stuff, it's a pretty deep pitch mix, it's a little more of a command first profile. The ratios now look the same thanks to a, a Tyler Anderson uh, meltdown against the Angels over the weekend. Uh, I'm with you. I think he's a little more usable than people probably give him credit for, and I would say he is safer. Than Manning at this point so I think that's a, a fair take if both of them are available and you're trying to play the volume game it's just sort of the the shiny new toy effect is still there with Matt Manning even though the 2021 season hasn't played out quite the way that we had hoped uh, Houston another one of those rotations where everyone's pretty much rostered I would say if anyone is available Jake Odorizzi is probably the most likely to be out there in some leagues and I would throw him on that Sunday against Oakland because it doesn't seem like he's an important part of their playoff rotation. So cutting him short to have him more fresh for their opening series, timing-wise, that's not going to be really a priority. Uh, it might be a more watered-down version of the Astros lineup that day just based on the other factors and if home field and the AL has been decided by then. Uh, but I do think Odorizzi can go into that Oakland matchup. It's at home, too, and hold his own in that spot. Yeah, I mean, it could just be the opposite scenario where uh, they want Odorizzi to go as deep as he can into that game to just uh, make sure that everybody goes into the postseason fresh. So, yeah, I, I like the matchup. I like the situation. And I think he's one of the more uh, attractive streamers out there for this week. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's a, it's more of a priority to get the short relievers some rest on the final days of the season for, for a team like Houston than it is to, to rest the final starter in the rotation, which I think is... Fairly uh, fairly accurate as to how they see Odorizzi at this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's take a look at the Royals. They always come up on this show because the starters are inconsistent enough to be on and off rosters pretty consistently. The last Royals two-step of the season goes to Brady Singer. He is out there in some leagues. It's at Cleveland in a matinee on Monday, and then a regular season finale start at home against the Twins. So pretty good matchups for Brady Singer. Uh, what's the trust level there? Is he a chasing, uh, just a kind of chasing everything sort of guy and someone you'd avoid if you're protecting ratios or... Are the matchups good enough where you feel like you can just kind of use them in just about every situation this week? I think, uh, yeah, I, I think pro probably somebody I would feel pretty good about using in, in any type of situation. I, I'm hesitating. You can probably hear the hesitation in my <laughs> voice just because I've loved the peripherals for Singer. I, I love them coming into the season. I've loved what he's done this season, but the, the surface stats just haven't reflected them. Uh, I really like both of these matchups a lot, but yeah, there's just that little bit of nagging doubt for me that he'll continue to underperform the peripherals. So, uh, I, you know, as far as streamers go, I don't know who's really necessarily any safer. You know, we're talking about people who are still out there. So uh, I think given that reality, I'd be pretty, pretty confident about going with Singer on these two starts. 
Yeah, Singer's underlying numbers this year really aren't bad. They're kind of a carbon copy of what he did in his debut last season, just stretched out over a sample that's about double the size. We're talking about a strikeout per inning guy. Uh, the Sierra is a little better than the ERA, so I think we could see a little improvement next year. I don't think he'll cost much at all in 2022 drafts. And I think there's a good chance he's a staple in the rotation for their season because they don't have a lot of other starters knocking on the door as big league ready options in the upper levels of the system right now. Asa Lacey's had some issues with control in the minors. So I don't think he's really a threat to take a spot in the early part of 2022, at least. How do you compare? Like if you look at it, Singer versus Jackson Coar versus the more highly regarded Daniel Lynch, do you think there's still kind of a clear gap between Lynch and the other two? Or do you actually think Singer might have a chance to be the, the most valuable of those three pitchers going into next season? I really do think that he has that chance to be the best of the three, uh, de- definitely in the shorter term and maybe in the longer term as well. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see how Lynch and Coar do with greater exposure uh, to, to major league hitters. I mean, obviously, the minor league numbers suggest that they could both leapfrog Singer, but got to see it do it on a consistent basis at the major league level. So we'll probably see that in 2022. But yeah, I, I like what Singer's shown us so far with that greater exposure. All right, let's move on to the Angels. I'm going to challenge you to say a nice thing about an Angels pitcher. The good news is they do have a early week matchup on the road against the Rangers. The bad news is there might be only one pitcher that you actually feel good about on the Anaheim side of that series. Well, uh, I mean, I like, I'd say I like half this rotation. I like the top half. I like Shoei Otani. I like uh, Jose Suarez quite a bit and I like Alex Cobb. And I like the matchups all week long uh, with three three at Texas, three at Seattle. So uh, I'm not going to, you know, as, as much fun as it would be, I'm not going to get on the, the Packy Naughton or start the Packy Naughton hype train. But uh, <laughs> I, I feel good about those, those top three. Packy Naughton is like a, an old time actor name. Like you expected Packy Naughton to be in, in the silent pictures. Like it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those, it's like a 70 grade name. So. I, I wish there was a little more to be excited about with him from just a, a stuff perspective, but the matchup is okay. Like if you if you had to play him in a really deep league, I think you can get away with it. But I think Alex Cobb's the guy that's had the season that people maybe have overlooked just a little bit. He's got a Sierra under four for the first time since 2014. Yeah, it's been a while since he's been that good. I realize a lot of the time he's been in Baltimore and he's been hurt. Um, it's going to be under 100 innings for the season unless he throws, you know, like 12 in his last start of the year, which is not going to happen. But a 25.2% strikeout rate, that is a career best for Alex Cobb. The walk rate has been acceptable in the 8.4% at the at 8.4%. And he's keeping the ball in the park, which clearly was a problem at Camden Yards. The, the stadium in Anaheim has been a little more hitter friendly since they made some adjustments a couple of years ago. I think this is legit. I think Cobb's going to be one of those guys that teams that like to shop in what I call the TJ Maxx or, or Marshall's bin in free agency, which I buy a lot of clothes there. This is not me like I, making any sort of judgment. I, I like to save money too. He's going to fit for for teams that don't spend a lot, that te- teams that don't want to make those multi-year commitments. And I could see it working out. It's really to me, it's going to come down more to health than anything else. I know the the split change for him kind of comes and goes sometimes, and when it goes, he doesn't really have much to lean on. But I really like what we've seen from him over the course of the season with the Angels. Yeah, no, I, I do too. Um, but I, I want to just go back to something very important here that you said Packy Naughton has a 70-grade name. What does that make Jansen Junk? 80. <laughs> so you got to leave that room for the Jansen mm-hmm. Junks of the baseball world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard sometimes to see the difference between a 70 and an 80 because uh, 70 is amazing. You know, how do you, how do you take two levels of greatness and, and split them up. I think uh, for me, thinking about how baseball people operate, Jansen Junk, I mean, that's a, it's a perfect baseball pun. That's where, you, that's where you get the extra difference in the grade. That's, that's, that's to me, puts it over the top. Yeah, I, even a step above Kyle Lobstein, I say. And, and for me, that's, that's huge praise. See, we could just spend the rest of the episode just lob like <laughs> lobbing names back and forth. Like, well, what about Bob Walk? And then like, was, yeah. like it would just go on forever. And uh, I think people would all just hang up and uh, that'd be it. That'd be the end of the season for us. And it'd be a, a, a rough, <laughs> like we would enjoy going out that way. I don't know if the listeners would be as excited about it as we would be. So uh, we forge ahead to Tony Gonsolin. And I think Gonsolin has pitched 
well in two of his last three starts. At least he's gone five innings. He still seems like they're not like just letting him cut it loose. And I wonder if some of the logic that we were putting out there uh, with Jake Odorizzi might apply to Tony Gonsolin, where they would say, hey, let's let's see if we can just push him a little more in this last outing. It's not at the end of the week, so I feel like it's a little bit less likely by comparison. And every game for the Dodgers, just like for the Giants, still matters. So if they see something they don't like, they go to the pen and try to figure it out later. But it's a home start against the Padres, and I'm a lot more excited about that for Gonsolin at the end of September than I thought I would be when the season started. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the Padres now are you know, probably one of the four or five most favorable matchups, which is just amazing to think if you you know go back to your like April or May self and, and tell, tell that version of yourself that. So, yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense. I think that you know the Dodgers uh, are not going to be doing anything weird or funky, uh, at least at that point of the week, in terms of their pitcher usage. So uh, I think Gonsolin's going to have to do well in that start to give you five innings or more. But very good chance that he will. You know, I'm such an idiot that if a future version of myself came, came back through time to tell me something, to give me advice, I probably still wouldn't listen to it. I'm that, I'm that stupid. <laughs> Well, I think yeah, I think if present me went back to to past self to say, hey, the Padres are really uh, a pretty bad team, yeah, I, I would think that was crazy. So I probably would listen to myself either. Yeah. So at least there's at least we're in the same boat for that. Uh, looking at the Marlins, that's actually a pretty rostered group of pitchers. Understandably, I mean, Jesus Lazardo probably still has some some availability a few places. He closes out his season home against the Phillies that game will matter probably for the Phillies at least there's a good chance that it will so I'm not exactly tripping over myself to throw him out there in that spot but it could be available nonetheless Uh, I think the other guy that's pretty interesting here is Edward Cabrera the results haven't been great so far during his rookie season the stuff does look electric and I'm just sort of curious given the issues he's had with control is he someone you think you'll be taking a late flyer on in 2022, or is he more of a future mixed league waiver wire guy for you where you just want to see a little success first before you try to stash him away? Definitely the latter. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, we're going to have to worry about having to snag uh, Edward Cabrera in the draft, or you know maybe he's a reserve round guy if, if you have a league that's got the reserve round draft. But yeah, I think he's somebody that's going to hang out there until he can, you know, be one of those pitchers that you know in April or May wows us with a, a great early start. So I'm willing to take that risk that I'll have to, uh, you know, battle the the other owners and Fab to get him because it, yeah, it's been a kind of a disappointing debut for him. But you know, as we've seen with hitters and pitchers this year, that uh, it, you know, surprise, surprise, it takes uh, great players a while sometimes to figure out uh, how to succeed against uh, other great players. So. Uh, I, I certainly don't write Cabrera off. I just don't think I need to invest a draft pick in him next year to be able to to get him if things work out. Yeah, say especially in 12-team leagues, I don't think it's going to be necessary. In 15s, you may have to use one of those final picks to actually stash him away, but you're going to want to be kind of careful, play him only for the most favorable of matchups. Unfortunately, you get the benefit of more information. The one thing that I think I care about with a pitcher in spring training, aside from velocity, the more of like the results thing that I look at is walk rate. For for someone that's had an issue with walks, if he goes through spring training, throws 15-plus innings, only walks a handful of guys, that actually gives me a little glimmer of hope that that problem is headed in the right direction. And maybe in that case, I would be more inclined to take some late shots on him. But I've been pretty disappointed with what we've seen early on, uh, even though I think the long-term future keeper in Dynasty Leagues is still pretty bright for Edward Cabrera. Looking at the Brewers, they have an early week series against the Cardinals and a end-of-season series on the road against the Dodgers. Not exactly easy spots. Uh, Brett Anderson, Adrian Hauser, and maybe Eric Lauer. I think Lauer's been scooped up in most competitive leagues by now. Not good spots really for any of them. I guess this is a how-much-do-you-trust-Eric-Lauer question for the upcoming week because that is a really difficult spot for him next week Friday. It is, and as somebody who has Lauer... um, I almost certainly won't be starting him this week. Uh, I just, yeah, there's too much to, likely that's going to be at stake for the Dodgers there. Lauer's somebody I feel like I've gotten very lucky with because the peripherals haven't really backed up the surface stats for him. So, uh, you know, it just seems like this could be the start where it all kind of falls apart. And in the week where, you know, it, it probably matters the most. Uh, so I'll probably stay away from Lauer. I know we talked about the Cardinals before. Um, 
but I actually don't mind this this uh, matchup for Hauser. And you know, you talked about Alex Cobb kind of being underappreciated and under-rostered. I feel like the same is for Hauser. It's a little more understandable just because unlike Cobb, he doesn't really have the strikeout appeal. But he he gets it done. And while the Cardinals obviously they just win and win and win, I still don't find the lineup to be sufficiently fearsome that I think, okay, well, here's somebody, Hauser, who's been really, you know, consistently pretty good. And yeah, I think he's this is this is where it's all gonna you know, come unraveled for him. I, I just don't see it. No, I, I don't think it's a disaster situation. I mean, I think Hauser, Hauser has exceeded our expectations on multiple occasions and as good as St. Louis is right now, he can be fine. I mean, I think the thing that's pretty clear to me with Adrian Hauser, we're just never going to get a great strikeout rate from him. I think what we saw two years ago is the best it could ever be, but I'm not even expecting that from him. I see him as more of a a guy that's trying to just get a lot of outs on the ground and trying to induce a lot of weak contact. It's a skill that he truly owns at this point. And I think being in a more cavernous ballpark like St. Louis is one of those road spots where I actually do trust him quite a bit. And you can see a couple of good results against the Cardinals more recently. I've never felt particularly good about uh, saying like, oh, well, just because he's faced them recently and had success, he's going to have success again. But I also like don't feel like if you get hit by a team and you see him again, you're going to go get hit again. Like, I think that messes with some people. For me, every matchup is different. It, you know, Teams keep adjusting. Pitchers have to keep adjusting back to, to everything that they see. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say, oh, oh he's due to get hit because he's, he's stymied them twice already in September. I would say it's a pretty good matchup for him and it kind of fits his profile well. And I think the one thing that's also helped Adrian Hauser this year, the Brewers have an elite defense. So as a guy that does allow a lot more contact, he can benefit from the quality of the defense he has behind him at a level that, you know, has been even better than it's been in the last few years too. Yeah. And just to, you know, uh, move ahead, because I know we're alphabetically a ways from St. Louis here, but you know, for the same reason, I'll trust John Lester this week, um, you know, with that, really great infield defense behind him there you go yeah john lester actually maybe viable here in this final week of the season if he's still out there probably out there in some 12s for sure i think he's out there in the one that i've got pulled up for the grid too uh, moving on to minnesota bailey ober a frequent topic of conversation on our sunday pods he's home against the tigers i do like him for that matchup a little surprised to see michael pineda out there which makes me want to click on his name and just verify that there's not some sort of injury news or something on him. Nope, not the case. Good ratio so far this year. Slightly lower K rate. Home run rates up. That's always part of the problem with him. But yeah, you look at the recent workloads. He's been going five, three consecutive starts. No concerns really for me with Pineda. I think he's among your last week options given the matchup against the Tigers. Pesky as they have been. John Gant sitting there with a sub four ERA. You throwing John Gant this week against the Royals? You know, I, I probably am, and it has nothing to do with the ERA because for most of the season, particularly the, the part of the season that Gant spent with the Twins, I wasn't buying it at all. And, you know, ultimately the Twins weren't buying it either. Uh, but um, he's he's been a different and much better pitcher with the Cardinals uh, and changing up the, the pitch mix a little bit, getting more strikeouts. So I like the matchup. I like the way uh, that, that Gant had been trending. So, yeah, I think I would trust him with the start. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you. I think he's actually at least a contingency option for me for this week. Looking at the Mets, Rich Hill still out there in some 12-team leagues, home against Miami. Use that start. That is a good start for him. I know the Mets have nothing left to play for anymore, but there's no reason why Rich Hill can't go five or six innings and pick up a W in that matchup against the Marlins. Uh, the Yankees have Jamison Tyon penciled in to come back for a road start against the Jays on Thursday. Are you interested in him in leagues where he was dropped? Oh, no. <laughs> not with that matchup. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, kind of an easy avoid, I think, for me to uh, more of a Hail Mary sort of play if you were thinking about putting Tyon into a lineup. Uh, Oakland's got Cole Irvin going Monday at Seattle. That should be his last start of the season. He's playable there, but I think there has been kind of a gradual correction for him. I think we're getting a better indication of what the future might look like, and I think it's probably a low to mid fours ERA and I'm not that excited about him, but he is startable on Monday if you need innings and the possibility of a win. But that game matters for Seattle, too, so that's not going to be a breeze by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, looking at the Phillies, Kyle Gibson's out there in a few leagues. I think he's okay, but Atlanta's not necessarily a spot where I'm excited to throw a guy like that. So usable, but uh, I don't know. I don't feel good about it, Al. 
I actually do. Uh, Gibson was somebody I actually wrote about for the final next week in fantasy baseball. And he was one of uh, five pitchers that I highlighted who have not put up good results uh, over the last month, month and a half or so. But uh, unlike most of the other pitchers on that list, Gibson actually has some pretty decent peripherals. So I understand that the matchup is not ideal, but I think that uh, Gibson at this point can can handle it. So I, I would feel okay about starting him. All right. Well, I think err on the side of, of Al's analysis with this one. For me, I'm I'm just I've been burned by Kyle Gibson so many times before that I, I can't quite shake that feeling of way that way I need to be able to shake that to make a good call on him. But it does seem like a reasonably tough spot. Max Fried going for Atlanta in that one. Pittsburgh wide open in terms of rotation availability, and uh, I think that's for good reason. They do have an early <laughs> week matchup against the Cubs. And Miguel Yajure is a guy that I like, but he missed time with an arm injury this year, and I think he's more of a 2022 streamer than somebody I'm jamming out there right now. Did go five scoreless way back in May against San Francisco. Only went three and two-thirds on the road against the Phillies, his most recent starts. I think you have some workload concerns, you have some skills concerns, but a good watch list name for the early part of next season. Is there anybody in this Pittsburgh mix that you're interested in? Well, it looks like Dylan Peters might come back for a start on the final day against the Reds. It's at home. Peters has been pretty good with Pittsburgh. Uh, So, uh, you know, I'm not really looking to uh, stream any of these folks, but Peters probably comes the closest. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think he's probably usable if we can get some confirmation on his availability. Looking at San Diego, I'm not going anywhere near Vince Velasquez. Darvish Weathers, Musgrove already rostered. Pierce Johnson's an opener, so nothing there. Uh, Seattle, Tyler Anderson, who just got hit by the Angels, gets a chance to turn it around before the end of the season. I... I think I would actually still trust my process. It's like we were saying with Hauser, like just because Hauser had success against the Cardinals, that's not necessarily the reason to throw him in that spot. It's more about just the overall setup that you either like or dislike. I think if you liked Tyler Anderson before he got hit this weekend, you should like him again in the exact same matchup next time (laughs) around against a very watered down Angels lineup. Yeah, and at home too. So that helps, uh, certainly helps me with any kind of uh, hesitation that I might have. Absolutely. Mentioned that Giants D-back series at the top of the show. Johnny Cueto gets a turn against Arizona. Any interest in him this week? Uh, yeah, I like the matchup. So he's he's kind of in that, you know, go back. I don't remember which pitcher we were talking about now, but in terms of, you know, contingency ads, I, I would add Cueto to that category. And if you look you know, before kind of the late August slowdown, he was going five plus consistently. Every start from June 13th through August 8th, Johnny Cueto went at least five innings. So for a guy coming back from the IL, he's getting a rehab start too. I don't I don't really worry about the workload, especially in that matchup. I think he's actually pretty usable in this spot. Mentioned the Cardinals earlier that John Lester matchup is a home matchup against the Cubs. Yeah, yeah, please. You can you can throw <laughs> John Lester there. Jay Happ against the Brewers and Miles Michaelis against the Brewers also at home in St. Louis. I assume they're in play for you as well. Not Hap. Uh, yeah, uh, it just feels too risky for me. But Michaelis, yeah, I think, you know, with uh, that game being at home and for all the same reasons that I cited for Lester, that uh, I think he can you know keep the ball on the ground enough to, to get that defensive help. Uh, I, I, I like Lester better, but I'd feel okay about Michaelis too. Moving on to the Rays, Drew Rasmussen might actually make two starts. That's a really tough two-step going out, though, at Houston and at the Yankees. Houston, you know, trying to, again, make a push for home field to do it. They have to do really well in the series against the Rays since that's the team they're chasing. So that could be a great series, depending on how things break. And the Yankees, they might be battling for an AL wild card on the very last day of the season. Both of those starts are on the road for Rasmussen. As good as he's looked so far, he's one of those guys that I'd be very, very careful with because of the matchups and the context around those games. The only thing I'll, I'll say, because I agree with you, but I'll just say that, uh, that he's had, I think, a couple of starts recently against the Blue Jays where I've said this very thing on Fantasy in 15, and that he's come out and put up the exact same line that he seems to put up against every other opponent, which is five innings, four hits, one or two runs, <laughs> three strikeouts, one you know maybe one walk. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if he put up two more of those this year, but I'm not willing to take the chance on it. 
yeah, pretty risky unless you're in a situation where you just don't care about your ratios at this point and you're just chasing volume. Uh, Shane Boz could start again, unconfirmed. We're going to see him again on Sunday before even getting to make a call like this. But what's your interest level in leagues where he just became available? Because in NFBC leagues, he wasn't available last weekend since he hadn't pitched in the big leagues yet and wasn't drafted in most leagues. If he goes again, it's over the weekend against the Yankees. It really seems to me, much like Rasmussen, they trust Shane Boz. Like they're putting him in these difficult spots because they think he could be a big part of what they're doing in the postseason. But are you actually comfortable throwing the rookie in what will be his third big league start in those conditions at Yankee Stadium? I I am. And I understand that, you know, we're working with extremely limited data here with Boz. Uh it, it should be a tough matchup with a lot on the line for the Yankees. But I the way I look at this is that, yeah, if I start him and he blows up, maybe that cost me a title or cost me something I'm shooting for in whatever league I'm in. But if I sit him and he pitches like he did in his debut, how dumb am I going to feel? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go with my gut on this one and start him. Yeah, three average or better pitchers in that day pitches in that debut from Shane Boz. Very encouraging and not, not all like out of line with the scouting report at all. He's looked fantastic in the minors, of course, too, but controlling things really well. And I think that was something that earlier in his career, there were some questions about walk rates and whether or not he was going to be you know, an asset in that regard. It looks like he's really figured out that aspect of his game in the last year or so. Uh, the Rangers, you know, we've talked about a lot of their starters on this show throughout the final two months of the season. The Angels, the first part of the week, I, I understand if you want to throw A.J. Alexi, why you would try to do it. I actually think he's below the level at which I would stream someone against the Angels, so I wouldn't do it. Taylor Hearn, kind of in a similar situation. I think if I had to pick between the two, I actually like Hearn a little bit more, and then there's Glenn Otto out there too, but not necessarily a good week for the Cleveland or for the Texas starters with the Angels and Cleveland. It is all at home, so I guess that's the the one sort of silver lining here where I, I look at those guys and I just think they're they're too risky based on skills, not based on matchup. Yeah, I agree. I think out of this whole group, the one I probably like the best is Glenn Otto, even with the really high ERA, because he has been a strand rate victim. He's had some really good starts. And this is a really, as we've said already, I think a couple of times on this episode against the Angels, it's just a really good matchup, and especially in Arlington. So he, to me, is really kind of head and shoulders above everybody else and the one who's really worth some genuine consideration. Hearn, I, I like okay in that uh, in that spot as well. Yeah, I think Hearn might might be a good starter in the long run. I'm, I'm very, very cautious here because I I don't know what they're doing in this rotation in the offseason. They clearly need to go out and make some more moves. I don't know how they're going to trade for starters necessarily unless they're trading really young prospects away. So they're probably going to do their usual thing. Also living in that TJ Maxx, Marshall's bin, but doing a good job of it too. Like They're, they're finding the best stuff in the bin in the last couple of seasons, I would say Mike Miner is a success story for them. Lance Lynn, who of course they traded, uh, you know, Dane Dunning will be a holdover because of Lance Lynn. Like they, they've found ways, but of that group, I think for me, Taylor Hearns, the one that I would be most likely to bet on for next season at this point, looking at the Jays, that's a very rostered group of starters. So nothing for us to really break down there. We move on to Washington. They've got, Oh, this is this is brutal. Josiah Gray at Colorado. I can't. I want to like him. I can't like him in this two-start week to close it out because it's at Colorado where I want nothing to do with them, and then home against Boston in a game that absolutely might matter for the Red Sox. So, I think Josiah Gray is pretty much a, a non-option for me. And you've talked about Eric Fetty pitching kind of well at times, but ERA is up over five. I don't want him even at home against the Red Sox either. Yeah, agreed. And when I've been pretty confident about starting Fetty, it's been with good matchups. So, uh, yeah, this is not one of those. So I uh, would certainly be avoiding him. Josh Rogers uh, versus the Red Sox as well. Uh, yeah, there could be potential for a lot of home runs against uh, Josiah Gray in Coors Field. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, just not a guy in a good spot to close out his season. I do have some interest in him next year, though, because I think he's pretty clearly a part of the Nationals 2022 rotation plans and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com 
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, let's get to some bats. Speaking of the Nationals, Kiebert Ruiz still out there in about two-thirds of CBS leagues. I think if he's out there, he's absolutely playable for the final week, especially with a Colorado series in there. What are you waiting for? So even in the, the single catcher, more shallow formats where he maybe hasn't been picked up yet, Ruiz absolutely should be viable for this final week. Yeah, no question about that. Must add, must start at this point. Harrison Bader heating up as part of the Cardinals' offensive surge, similarly available to Ruiz. Any hesitation at all in picking up Bader? Well, the last time that Bader came up for me on this show, I dumped cold water all over the idea of using him. So at this point, with one season left in the season, or one week left in the season, you know, even if I'm not totally convinced uh, that what we're seeing lately is something that's sustainable. Uh, he can sustain it for another week. So <laughs> as a hot hand play, I'm on board. Speaking of hot hands, how about Nick Gordon as a guy doing a little bit of everything? The power especially was something I did not see coming from him, but Minnesota giving him plenty of opportunities here down the stretch. Almost an everyday guy for them for the better part of the last couple of weeks now. Uh, if you're looking for some speed especially, he's 10 for 11 as a base dealer. So far in 67 games with the Twins this season, he's popped four home runs along the way, but you're really picking him up as a late-season speed play. Any sort of power you get from him is just a bonus, isn't it? I, I agree. I agree. But, yeah, just the steals alone make him worth picking up this week. And, by the way, up until two days ago, he was still available in that AL-only league that I talked about at the outset of the show. Uh, unfortunately, Ooh. it was Mike Ginella and not me I hope I don't come to regret that. Uh, But, you know, just a a way of saying that uh, do check your waivers because there's an excellent chance that he's out there. A couple of names we hit last week that are worth hitting again. Lewin Diaz in Miami getting plenty of opportunities there. As I said, he's shown us something in the minors. I, I think there's definitely some developing power there. Playing time's consistent, kind of in the back part of the middle third of the Marlins lineup. Lots of opportunities to drive in runs. Jose Siri still out there, Al, in a decent number of leagues. I don't know what people are waiting for. And with Michael Brantley banged up, with the Astros, you know, playoff seating possibly being clarified in the early part of the week, I could see Siri playing more than people expect uh, if, you know, their fate is clearly known by the end of that Rays series. Yeah, I agree. And I think a similar play to Gordon that uh, you might get some steals out of it. Um, you know, some surprising power from him, too. So uh, I agree. Uh, maybe not 12-teamer, probably not 12-teamer, but anything deeper. It's it's time or you're out of time. I made the mistake. Well, it was, it was on purpose, but I, I made the mistake of sorting my free agent list by playing time again yesterday. And I was starting to talk myself into Jack Mayfield just because he plays every single day for the Angels. I don't think I like anything in his profile. And yet here I am with my season on the line thinking, well, he might play every single day and he's going to hit higher in the lineup than he probably should. Maybe something good could happen. Do you have any other players like like that where you're looking at him and saying, I don't even really like this guy, but volume is everything during the final week with so many teams possibly resting players, guys being banged up, all these extra little variables that pop up this time of year. Well, I'm going to go back to the Angels lineup, which you know feels like a weird place to to pick two hitters, given that you know collectively they're not hitting. But you know Phil Goslin, who actually hits higher in the lineup than than Mayfield does, this, I like the skill set a little better, and he's you know very widely available still. So that's the first name for me that that comes to mind. And actually, I want to take another look at who's pitching against uh, the Angels because. I think Mayfield at least does hit lefties with some power. So maybe that, yeah, that start against Taylor Hearn. Uh, Let's see, the Mariners must be throwing at least. Yeah, they're throwing a couple lefties, Anderson and and Gonzalez. So that's not a bad play 
Mayfield this week. No, I, I think he's got three lefties out of the six yep. games the Angels are scheduled for. So that, I think that was the other thing. I was like, oh, I am talking myself into Jack Mayfield. Uh, but don't <laughs> overlook the guys that actually are playing every day because contenders can get a little bit goofy with playing time at this point in the season. Tommy Lestella's out there in some leagues too. And I realize coming off a series in Colorado, the numbers uh, pop a little more than they ordinarily do. But He's playing a ton for the Giants, and obviously every game matters, like I said before, but it's a great lineup. There's not many players in legitimately great lineups that are just sitting out there in the wire in mixed leagues. Listella's on that short list. Yeah, and there's skills there, uh, so that that's a great call. I mentioned it kind of in passing a little bit earlier, just in case there's anybody else out there that people could be picking up for saves. Uh, J.B. Wendelkin is the my guy if you're looking for just save or two in the final week. I think you're really hoping for those to, again, come over the weekend against Colorado. You're probably not getting saves against San Francisco from any Arizona reliever in the early part of the week. But is there anybody else that's caught your eye picking up saves lately that you think might be a useful option for the last week of the season? Well, Wendelkin really was the the one that was on my radar, just because if you look at any other situation where there's somebody who's, uh, who's out there in a lot of leagues, uh, they're you know they're in a safe sharing situation for the most part. So, yeah, perhaps Michael Givens. Uh, I've been a little surprised at the uh, roster rates for Cal Finnegan. So I, I maybe would add those two to the list. But uh, Wendelkin, you could be pretty sure is going to be out there in most leagues. Yeah, maybe Andrew Chafin out there as part of the mix for Oakland. They're still trying to scrap their way back into the playoffs. I mean, I think they. Basically have to win out uh, to make it happen. So we'll see. Maybe on Sunday we'll know what their fate looks like. But he's a little bit of the, the rotation that they're using to close out games right now in Oakland. But this time of year, I, I feel awful with the relievers I pick up. I, I just feel like it's a it's a complete blindfold situation because even, even the, the little indicators we look for earlier in the year to determine who's going to get a chance to close when we speculate, I feel like those are mostly out the window at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, it's just all about opportunity, which I think you know, Wendell can, that does make him somebody to target. Before we go, uh, any other waiver wire thoughts or anything that has really helped you this year that you picked up on the wire? Like if you win that league where you're going toe-to-toe with Mike Gianella, Al, is there a, a waiver pickup that uh, you can give some of the credit to? Uh, actually, uh, we've talked about him a lot. Alex Cobb has helped me in several leagues. So uh, definitely uh, would... And he, I've got him in that league as well. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, offline right before here. Uh, I got Jazz Chisholm in one of the early weeks uh, in Tout Wars and uh, Fab, and I, I understand that for most of the season, it's it's not his performance hasn't really held up to what he did for the first month. But you know the the, the steals have been steady at times, and uh, you know a little bit of power here and there. So I I would still count him as one of my better my better pickups. Um, you know, certainly was glad to get in on Nestor Cortez while I still could. So those, those are some names that stand out for me. Yeah, I had uh, Luis Garcia in some mixed leagues early in the season. He was even a stash at the end of drafts and a few deeper leagues. But he's been one of my favorite waiver pickups of the year because he's come up and just provided so much value in that Houston rotation. Uh, here's a question. I didn't think about this guy because uh, I kind of forgot that he was in the mix again for playing time. He's playing center field right now. We talked about Nick Gordon a little earlier, but what about Gavin Lux for this last week? I mean, he's up, and they, they really sort of tried to push reset on Cody Bellinger. Uh, A.J. Pollock is also healthy now, too, so there's a complicating factor there for a little while. You know, with Bellinger, uh, Bellinger on the IL and Pollock previously hurt, Lux had a very clear path to playing time. But how do you see things playing out for, for Lux and now that Pollock is back for Pollock, too, in the final week? Yeah, I think that complicates the situation a little bit, but I think that Lux has hit enough while being given the opportunity that uh, he's still worth uh, worth a shot, like 14, 15 teamers if he's still out there. Yeah, I think they they both bring enough ceiling where you want to take that chance in deeper formats. I think they could take playing time away from each other enough to where like in a 10-team league, you probably have better, higher-volume options available. Uh, but thanks a lot for that question, Keith75, Monty. We are going to wrap things up for the season for this edition of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thank you to all of you who've tuned in live over the course of the year on YouTube. That was a new thing for us this season. Hopefully something we're going to bring back again in 2022. Thanks to Al for 
closing out the season with me, Michael Beller, for being here throughout the season as well. It's been a lot of fun doing this pod with both of you. And uh, Al, I hope you find a way to defeat Mike Janella in the final GNL in the final week of the season. Uh, he's our, our friend, but um, <laughs> you know, a silver medal for Mike and a gold medal for you is something that I'm hoping for. Well, thank you, thank you. If I if I do uh, manage to to stave him off, uh, I, I will give you some of the credit. I don't deserve any, but I appreciate that nonetheless. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, you can find Al at L Melchior BB. I am at Derek Van Riper. This is a great time to sign up for the Athletic if you're just a fan of other sports. Obviously, fantasy baseball season is coming to an end, but the Athletic.com/slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast gets you a subscription for half off for the first year. So a nice deal there. All the playoff baseball coverage you could want. Once my two early rankings for 2022 are ready, which is probably more like a week from now at best, but probably more like two weeks from now. Once they're ready, they go up. Those are pretty fun to look at because you can already start thinking about next season. Never too early to do that. But good luck to everybody out there competing for titles again. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with one more Under the Radar on Tuesday. 